Cool. So welcome to week two, everybody. The second episode. We're back in the studio. We are back with improvements from last time. With some significant improvements. We've got one camera, two camera, three camera. (laughs) We should do like a little one, two. I can't cut. We'll cut between (laughs) them. I can't get that one. No. Three. You can do that. You can go one. I'll go two and then three. Okay. One, two, three. Nice. (laughs) Pro as hell. Alrighty. So today we're going to be discussing perception and coriander. Mm. So as we mentioned at the the tail end of last episode, um, people have different perceptions or different like experiences Mm -hmm. when eating coriander. Yeah. So it, it comes from both a neurological perspective, like there's an actual chemical change in the brain, the way they perceive things. But there's also um, psychological ways of perceiving things that's different for each person. So we can kind of talk about a bit of both. Yeah. I was just thinking just then, like, I I love coriander. You Mm -hmm. like coriander? I don't think so. You don't? No. Because there's a herb that's similar to coriander. It's, um, there's another one. It's another green. Cilantro. (laughs) Cilantro, yeah. I love cilantro and I hate coriander, um, which I like, but I don't think I like coriander. We should have brought some in. So we should have. It. We should have brought some. I think yeah. I have some growing in the backyard. That would have been good. Somewhere. Some uh, homegrown coriander. I love coriander, yeah. especially like with tuna and mm-hmm. some Can Mexican add, spice. Adds a bit of a zing. Yeah. But then for some people, it tastes like soap. Yeah, that's crazy. So, do you want to share the explanation why coriander can taste like soap? Yeah. So. There is like, I've got some information here on the specifics, but the gist of it is that there is a genetic mutation or genetic difference with some people. The OR6A2 gene. Yeah. For like 20%, one in five. And different ethnic groups also have different numbers of occurrence of the genetic difference. So... What ethnicity has the most uh, aversion to coriander? Most aversion. Cilantro. I don't know. It's written, it's written down here. It's in the notes. Check your notes. Note check. So, uh, it's right there. Literally right there. Mm-hmm. 21% for East Asians, 17% for Caucasians, 14% of those of African descent, 7 for South Asians, for Hispanics, sorry, 4% for Hispanics and 3% for Middle Eastern subjects. Right. So is I that- think some of the oldest occurrences of cilantro is in the Middle East. The Middle East. Yeah, and they have the least aversion to it. And then... That goes back like 5,000 years or some huge, huge amount, like prehistoric. And it's just after we came out of the Stone Age or it might even still be in the Stone Age. They have evidence of cilantro in um, the like coriander pots and stuff. Yeah, the coriander <laughs> age. We write the history Exactly. They were like, damn, this is good. Uh, but yeah, then Southeast or South Asia has the highest occurrence of the aversion. So they're like the 20%. And they're the, last, like they're the last group that would have been exposed. I think so, yeah. They were the last okay. group to get it. And so it kind of got spread throughout the world from the Middle East. And then through trading and migration and everything, it got spread out. Yeah. It's obviously like very hereditary. But what, what do you think it would be like if you have um, some subjects where, you know, the parents don't actually have this gene mutation, mm-hmm. but it's just a cultural thing? Like, right. Yeah, well, I don't know what my question like is on that one. No, no, so what you're saying is maybe they just don't like it and it's yeah. not genetically related. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. And I wonder if they were able to account for that in that study. Because yeah. they didn't mention that. It was, it was just about the genetic aversion. How do they even, how do they even identify that it's the genetic aversion that's causing this? And I not think they like, can test the DNA. So what they do is they get a sample group and then like they say, like, does this taste good or does it taste like soap? And, they see and then they can gene. sample their DNA and see if that 
that gene occurs. Like the, the, the OR6A2. Yep. OR6A2 gene. Yeah. The cilantro gene. <laughs> yeah. So that is your your ability to perceive aldehydes. And so some people uh, have a lot, a very strong detection of it, it ch- the way that it comes in their nose and in their yeah. mouth, in the oral factory senses. But I just don't understand how, like, soap. Like yeah, that's well, I mean, explanations right yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> aldehyde. Yeah. Which I use as ordinance in Used soap. Used in soap, yeah. But it's like, that just seems like such a weird thing to pick up some green herb from your garden. Yeah. And it, Tastes like you're eating a bar of soap. Yeah, like you're tasting yeah dish dish soap. Are there other things like that? Are there other foods out there that mm, there are not? There are probably some that are exactly the same with the aldehydes. Like the aldehydes are very common in a lot of different fragrant foods. Um, I think I put some examples there, like cannabis and um, pine and pine. Yeah. Oh, I would not want to live a life. Although that might be the tannins bad. as well. There are a few chemicals that are kind of similar. But I don't think the tannins have the genetic component to the sensing. Um, but interestingly, they do have like the split group. You know, it's like some people really like it and some don't. Like the licorice. Yeah, a very like stark difference. It's yeah, not like a spectrum. Yeah, it's more like a binary. Yeah, I've not really like met anybody not. that's kind of enjoys licorice a little bit. It's either you love it I or you hate like it. I don't like licorice. Yeah, because I, I love like it. red licorice, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah, it's not really licorice. Yeah, it's just sugar. But I could eat. I can go a whole bag of. Licorice. But what does it appeal like to you? Like, what's the appeal of licorice to you? It just tastes good. It just tastes good. Yeah, it's like this. It's like a very strong, fragrant flavor. It just but tastes good. Like when I taste it, I'm like, this is disgusting. Like it's, yuck. it's like a, it's like an offensive taste. Like I don't want to eat it. Yeah, you don't want it in your mouth. <laughs> but it's like, do are you tasting what I'm tasting? But you're just like, I think so. Yeah. So. This this is where it comes to the sensation. chemical oh, yeah. yes um, sensation versus perception. So like our brains have different ways of perceiving the taste, even though we're tasting the same thing. So we'd be sensing exactly the same taste or mm-hmm. whatever you know components are in yeah. the licorice. Yeah, we've got the same chemical thing happening on the tongue, and the same messages going to the brain, and the brain's sorting it out differently. Yeah, so we have a few different things to talk about about perception as well. I guess, like, the most obvious one that, like, a lot of people think about is, like, is, you know, my definition of red, your definition of red. But then, like... I've always wondered that. Yeah. Like, I'm wondering, is the way I see the green screen different to the way you see it? Like, maybe that looks red to you, but we call it green. That's what you're talking about. That's uh, that's not a green screen. I mean, yeah, we're out in space. (laughs) Live from the moon. We're live from the ISS. (laughs) Yeah. But, like... I don't know if this makes sense, but green feels green. You know what I mean? Like, but that's just the way you've perceived. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. Like, but red feels red. Like it's yeah. It but has is that, like is that, that feeling it, attached to it. Is that just the way that you've grown up with it, though? But like, yeah, exactly. But what if we what if we took a baby who's never seen or, or never been arrested. taught the different colors? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Step one. Yeah, not doing that again. <laughs> Learned the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we take a, uh, somebody that hasn't been taught what the different colors are and we put them in a chamber and we, we show them a green card and we say, this is red. And then they get brought up that way for their whole life. Until they're in the real world? or yeah, like until they're in the real world. At 18. Is that going to really mix up their perception? It would have to. What if you like... Because it would feel red to them. Green would feel red. But... but 
I guess, you know, like think of like green as go and like yep. red as stop. Yeah. And it's like you have like, you know, u- UIs or user interfaces yeah. where, you know, it's like, okay, the create action, the go action, the submit action it's green. is green. Yeah. And then the stop, cancel, delete action is yeah. red. Yeah. For this person who has their reds and greens, mm-hmm. is are they opposite or they're just, I guess they'd be opposites. Jeez. Are they going to struggle to like buy stuff off a Shopify store because they're going to be uh, Yeah, like, they're going to be confused when they use different interfaces. And it's like, yeah, when they're driving a car, they're going to be confused when they approach a stoplight. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Not so. Not for too long. No, I think, I think it all goes into how your brain is trained and what you are exposed to. So for them, red will be go. Oh, geez. I'm so confused oh. now. <laughs> I'm so confused. Oh, we need a child. <laughs> we need to kidnap a child. We're going to have to run through this experiment <laughs> to see how it turns out. Report back in 18 years. Yeah. Guys, episode 500. <laughs> Write it down and we'll do it. I was... So, like, when it comes to, like, learning stuff and trying to unlearn it, we're, we're getting our kitchen renovated at the moment. So, mm-hmm. mom's been, like, moving everything into different drawers. Yep. And, like, just this morning, like, it's actually happening today that finally everything has been put into boxes. Mm-hmm. And I came home and I literally just wanted to make a piece of toast. Like, you know, I just needed a plate. I needed the bread, yeah. the butter, the, the Vegemite and a, a knife. And it was all mixed up. It was so difficult <laughs> to get all those components because like, you know, so naturally I'm just going to go to one cupboard to get the plate yeah. and I'm going to go to the fridge. The fridge is in a different spot. And you don't even think about it. Yeah. And it's like, it was so mentally taxing mm-hmm. to like just make a piece of toast because everything was just like yeah. the rugs just pulled up from under you. I've got a crazy story. Oh, it yeah. relates to last week a little bit with habit. Um, and this was another case study from the power of habit. I think it was um, where there was a guy who had, he was an old man and he had Alzheimer's. I think it was. And he couldn't draw you a diagram of the house layout. But if you asked him to go to the fridge and get a drink, he would have no problem going straight to the kitchen it's and like finding a drink. shortcuts. Yeah. Like he, his brain had wired in the steps needed to go and get stuff and do things. But he couldn't recall actively where it actually was in the house. He couldn't tell you if the kitchen was left or right in the house. But then if you asked him to go and do it, he could do it. Because of all of the habit connections, you know, there might be like 20 habit steps required to get to the fridge. Um, And yeah, he was able to recall it. Could he consciously say like, okay, I'm walking now and I know I have to turn. Or it's like, he's like, he's turning left. He's like, okay, now I turn left. I think he could do it on the fly. Yeah, as he was going through the steps. But if you asked him to lay out all of the steps while sitting on the couch, he couldn't do it. So there's there's two parts of the brain responsible for those different scenarios, one of recalling all of the steps and the other of actually going through all of the habits. It's actually crazy to think how many steps are involved in just little things, like mm. uh, like with, my, with that example toast. and with, you know, making the toast. Yeah. It's like... Step one is getting to the kitchen. Yeah, when you consciously have to. And it's even, yeah, it's like mum moved like the the knives and forks or whatever, so the plates from like one cupboard like three weeks ago to another cupboard and yeah. still I'm opening that same empty cupboard. Yeah. How constantly. many years has the kitchen been in the original? Oh, my whole life. Yeah. Like it's been. So, so that's so deeply ingrained in you. Trying to unlearn like 24 years worth of, yep. oh, I guess I wasn't like one year old getting plates, but. <laughs> no, but you know. even observing yeah. other people going and getting plates. Yeah. Soaking that in. Yep. Yeah. So your pe- perception was all messed up. 
yeah today or like the last couple of weeks when you go in even today mm. and you're you're intelligent enough to know that it's changed but even though you know it's changed your habits are still overriding yeah. and saying something's and wrong there's heaps of contextual clues mm-hmm. that it's changed there's literally boxes full of stuff yeah yet i'm still like i literally would walk past mm-hmm. another another thing is that so i have a pet bird and it's at a certain part in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the fridge is at a different part. Because we're getting renovated, we moved the bird into the living room and we moved the fridge into where the bird was. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, usually in the mornings, I'll go and I'll, like, take his covers off. Because, mm-hmm. like, he sleeps under these covers. And, you know, I'm doing an action of opening something, lifting yeah. the covers, opening. Yeah. And then this morning, as I went to the fridge, I'm, like, you know, initiating that subconscious action of opening something Mm -hmm. and as i was opening the fridge i was expecting to see the bird because i'm just like okay in this spatial coordinate yeah when i open i see bird yeah and no i see i see and it's it's part of the morning routine yeah and and did it it confuse you it was so weird i was like i wasn't like discombobulated but i was like consciously aware of the fact that I was subconsciously expecting to see yeah. the bird after I like yep. executed this action of opening. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. It's wild. And then even for him, because he's in the living room, so you know he has his covers on to block out the light when he's sleeping. When you opened it up, was he like, "What the heck?" Yeah, he was. I? Yeah, I, well, I didn't open him up the today, but like I heard mum like taking off his covers and she's saying he was commenting on how he's like, "Oh, where am I?" Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Another even that know, little bird brain. Yeah, yeah. He's got that 18 years worth of, you know, conditioning. That Being woken when, up in the kitchen. Yeah, when when the cover's open, I'm in the kitchen. Yeah, that's amazing. So, one of the questions we have in our notes is, do jellyfish perceive? I think we've answered, do, do birds perceive? I think, you know? yeah, birds definitely. Okay, so this is the perception versus... Um, Consciousness. There is another word. Oh, sensation. Okay, yeah. sensation and perception. So, sensation is taking a sip of the coffee and tasting it in your mouth. <laughs> and then perception is How I what happens that. in the brain. Yeah, and what goes on there. And then there are all the different connected psychological things that go on with it. Um, so, firstly, jellyfish definitely have sensation because they require sensation to operate in the ocean and hunt and survive and reproduce so that's a yes but then do they perceive as in do they process information that's being sent to them through all their different receptors yeah at like a high level yeah like as in are they conscious are they able to perceive stuff and react to it they don't have like you know spinal cord or like any like a big clump of nerve cells no they don't could be like a brain so like i don't think spiders don't have a brain either they don't have a, or maybe they don't have, they have like a distributed brain somehow. <laughs> Apparently all of their cells in their nerves and everything act as um, one brain through their whole body. It's really weird. Have you heard this, um, I don't know, theory or whatever. It's probably fact. We really, I really should like get a, get a link for this, but it's like your stomach has its own brain, like mm. in the sense that it's just like a clumping of like nerve endings that could. And what about the bacteria as well that exist within it? Does that, imp- does that have an effect on the brain or is it just the nerves? Is, well, is that part of its brain? Like, Could be. I think so. I don't know. A question for the audience. <laughs> does your stomach have a brain? <laughs> Can you ask your stomach? <laughs> My stomach says yes. <laughs> he says feed me. <laughs> feed yeah. me a burger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think jellyfish can perceive and I think jellyfish have some... I'm not an expert. 
and have no idea, but I think <laughs> jellyfish definitely <laughs> like are, completely unqualified opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think they have some level of consciousness. But if the if they are sensing mm-hmm. and making some sort of decision, and reacting, is that not perception? I think like that is if perception. they have to. Even if it's like the most basic like neural pathway, or yeah, I think that's probably a bit generous for a jellyfish. But like, if it's some sort of basic like nerve potential that is or isn't being activated, some yeah. sort of branch in how they could react, then yeah. is that perception? That's I think that would count as perception. Yeah, and how do they tell the difference between a fish tangled in their tentacles and something else that like a, a piece of plastic? Well, they don't, and that's the issue. So, recycle. <laughs> recycle, boys and girls. Yeah. I think, they, no, I think they can. I think they can. A, f- a jellyfish can tell the difference between the way Something a fish wiggles. moves, yeah, oh. and the way it stimulates its tentacles. It's able to then start digesting it or latch on and digest. But maybe they don't perceive what if those, like, reactions are hardwired into just, like, well, could you then say the that physiology. our reactions are hardwired because it's just it's just a more complex chemical process? Oh, yeah. So I'm kind of thinking of We're like basically just jellyfish, <laughs> big old jellyfish <laughs> with a <laughs> spine, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a noggin. Noggin. I was thinking like as I was like thinking of that um, circle. Circle. <laughs> I was just thinking of that example. I was kind of thinking of an analogy of like computers and. Um, you know, you could have a circuit board where, like, you know exactly what type of computation it's going to do and you just are going to just print on the AND and OR gates to complete the algorithm that it's designed for. Mm-hmm. Or you have your CPU itself, like a, a general purpose machine where it's mm-hmm. programmable. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of like, could that analogy be applied that the the jellyfish in, like, uh-huh. um, that hypothesis I'm proposing that it's, like, mm. hardwired. Mm. That's just, like, the, the printed circuit board. It just follows a set of rules. Yeah, it's just... Based it's, on inputs and outputs. Yeah, but it can't do any, like, programmable or learning. It can't actually think. It's just yeah. following a set of rules. And yeah. then the analogy with us is that we have, like, a general purpose CPU being our brains where we can, like, we could learn mm-hmm. to do something over... Our life, like, does a jellyfish always react the same way to a fish and a plastic bag mm. from it would in its first, I don't know how long jellyfish live for, but in its first period of life to its last period of life, mm. does it learn that, you know, and does maybe its behavior change? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. When you have a CPU that just follows a set of instructions, what do you call it? Like a really simple one. I could. It's like a specific purpose CPU. It's just it's, it's got a circuit a, board, I guess. I'm not I'm yeah. not sure on the So at what point does the CPU go from being like a specific purpose to a general purpose? When Isn't you can it, program it. When you could dynamically it? it's physically being produced, but then you could go and upload a new set of instructions or feed it a new set of instructions. And is that just a matter of complexity? Like if you if you have lots of specific purpose oh. CPUs, do they be- can work together to become a general purpose CPU? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a hardware engineer, but like, I guess isn't On that principle. what everything is yeah. in the end? So, couldn't you then say like a jellyfish is the specific purpose CPU? It has a predictable way of operating and reacts certain ways to different inputs. When you add lots of specific CPUs together, specific purpose CPUs, it becomes complex. But, like it, but if, they, if they don't meet like, 
you know, you could just have like a thousand of these specific purpose CPUs, but if they can't do different stuff, like if they can't form... They can't all be the same. Yeah, like I guess like a general purpose CPU, it has all the facilities to mm-hmm. do different stuff. Like, you know, this this specific purpose CPU, it might be created just to add two numbers. Yeah. And like the general purpose CPU, it would need to be composed of like all the components where you can add more complex operations, and, you know, multiply or, you know, whatever yeah. other operations it has to load for memory. And yeah. Although the way I'm thinking of it right now, because uh, CPU is just set up with lots of switches. They're just on and off yeah. switches. But if you put enough of them together, they can represent operations. Where's that line of memory? Difference? Yeah. It's like, where do you draw the line? At what point does it become... It does it go from being a switch to something that can perform operations? Well, maybe like the the Turing uh, Turing completeness or what's it called? Not the, not the Turing test, like the um, oh, what's that? What's that called? Um, was it the compute? Is this related to the computer that was used for the code breaking in World War Two? No, no, no. The Enigma machine. Enigma, yeah. Cracking no, no. the Enigma. Christopher, is that what it's called? Christopher, I think Christopher Enigma. Is that his name? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Alan Turing. Uh, wait, is Alan Turing? <laughs> no, I thought the, the machine from the movie, the, the machine's called Christopher based on his childhood friend. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, which mach- which movie is that? <laughs> um, Cracking the Enigma. <laughs> what is the movie called? Uh, the Enigma Code, isn't it? <laughs> is it? I can't remember. Um, what was that? Is that the one that's set in World War II? Yeah. Set at... Alan Turing. I'm pretty sure it's a real... Th- <laughs> I'm not pretty sure it is a real thing. We're just in the matrix. We're inside of an Enigma machine oh, right now. I had okay, so off topic, but probably still on perception. A glitch in the matrix. No, I had a um, Mandela effect the other day. What is the Mandela effect? Just on Saturday. The, uh, what is the Mandela effect? Yeah, you know, like I, know, I don't know the Mandela effect. I think you've told me this twice before, and I can't remember. Just something you'd be so into. Yeah. So you said like, that last time. I can remember that. I can't remember what it actually is. <laughs> and then I was probably like, save it for the podcast or yeah. something like that. Or yeah. We'll talk about it another time. It's like where everyone believed something was some way uh, in the past. Yeah. So I think the um, Mandela effect comes from that everyone thought that Mandela mm. had passed away at a certain time Mm -hmm. and i think the actual reason was because there was like a misprint in a newspaper or something like that so a whole lot of people thought he'd passed away and then you know 20 years later whatever he actually passed away and then people were like what the heck i thought he was already dead and it's like oh we in an alternate timeline are we in a a parallel universe yeah and it's like another great example is like the oh no you you know like monopoly does the guy have a spectacle the little a monocle Monocle, yeah. Does he have a monocle on a top hat? Yeah. I remember him as having a monocle and a walking stick and a top hat. So I think this is like one of the best examples. He does have a monocle. But there were there were lots of people that said he doesn't have a monocle. I don't think he does. I don't think he does have a monocle. Because that's the original one, hey, the black and white version. We'll put this up on the screen for you viewers out there. For you cool cats and kittens. See, this is... See, it's all just coming up with Mandela effect now. So I don't think he actually has a monocle. So some versions do and some don't. But that could result in like that big could groups be of people. That, pardon? It could result in big groups of people having different yeah. memories of what he is and what he's wearing. That's like a, a group perception. Okay. But so my Mandela effect that I experienced, mm. and <laughs> I have a very practical explanation for it, but you right. know, let's indulge. Yeah. So I was just driving by and the, the bus stops on this certain street 
that I drive through. I drive through this like you know weekly, yeah, at least mm-hmm. like minimum once a week. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've driven through it like a few times this week. But the bus stops were in like on both sides of the road. They're in completely different places, and I'm like, no, they used like, to be as there. in there. You see two buses, or you see two bus stops. The bus, two bus stops. They were just in different. They were just like a meter off where they usually are. Right. And I was like, that's super weird, but, you know, they probably just moved the bus stops. Yeah. But I was looking at where they were, and there's no, like, disruption in the ground. There's, like, an old sidewalk yeah. that doesn't look like they've teared up the sidewalk or, like, laid down the new sidewalk. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we're living in a matrix. Interesting. You just, you just switch timelines. Yeah, exactly. This is actually a different timeline. It's so subtle. Different timeline from when we did the last episode. Yeah. So, do you switch timelines every time a choice is made oh so this is like the the infinite um infinite timelines yeah and like multiple universes the quantum immortality one yeah as well yeah um because personally i don't know if i do (laughs) for example like we could make a choice where like i rip the this cloth off the table yeah. And then it disrupts the whole podcast. And then that creates a new timeline from where I didn't rip the cloth yeah. off the table. Well, it's like every single decision. Yeah. Every single little thing. So it's like, yeah. you know, every, every like, uh, split second, mm-hmm. there's and millions, millions and millions of splits happening. But where does that energy come from? I think, you know, creating universe. Personally, I haven't done it, but I think it's pretty energy consuming. Yeah. So how it's like a big that, bang sort of situation. Yeah, but it's like that. I I feel like where did all that energy come from? No, let's not go on that one. Yeah, I just mean like with the the um, many worlds hypothesis or mm-hmm. whatever. I think that's the, what it's called. Yeah, is that like where does all the energy to make all these universes come from? I think it's just the innate energy that particles carry. And but how how do they just keep infinitely splitting? Are they not going to run out? Well, because of the conservation of energy energy can't be created nor destroyed just change from one form to the other so does that mean every so when when the universe starts it's loaded with energy right there's a there's a huge bang in the expansion and there's particles and radiation everything happening and that's all carries on doing their splits and growing and expanding the universe but does that mean the scale of every universe is like half the size before the split so if you imagine like cells mm-hmm. splitting yeah and the the cells become like no so couples. they're not actually splitting they're just changing form because like down at the quantum level i'm the cells again not the, an expert the <laughs> no the splitting is happening at, at a let me think about this the, the the particles aren't actually splitting themselves they're just changing form so it's like it's a choice as to whether or not you close the laptop all of those particles are going through that change. They're not actually splitting. Yeah. But the idea... Oh, I see what you mean. But it's like in the two different timelines. It's, creating, it's, it's creating two physical spaces from one. Yeah. yeah. Of the whole universe every single time. Yeah. So every time there's a split. But so where you, does that energy come from? Yeah, that's is what that, i Is that maybe like the dark energy sort of situation? Uh, it's like an unexplained... Um, so nice. unqualified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> We're just throwing out ideas. One, one thing I was saying is that it's like... If if I was in a house mm-hmm. and then you scale that... Okay, say I'm in a house and I take a photo of my bedroom yeah. 
and then I make a dollhouse that is exactly the same as my house. Mm-hmm. Perfect detail. Everything is exactly the same. Yeah. And it's it's a hundred times smaller than my real house. Yeah. And I go and I get a camera and I put it on the macro settings and I get all the lighting, everything perfect, and I take the same photo. Yeah. You could not tell that they're different. Correct. Right. So when the universe split, could everything just be scaled to half? And we can't tell because everything's still relatively to us is still relative the same size. That's a good question. I don't even know if that's a question. I think it's just a an idea. <laughs> yeah. It's just a hypothesis. I think it could, but I also think that creating something on a different scale would somehow take more energy than to scale it down. Than like making a copy, like a direct copy. The matrix transformation of the the scaling operation. Mm. Maybe that can be a question for next time. We'll look into it. Maybe on the, the universal GPU, it just pumps them out. There's billions. It's just universe. got so much GPU power that doesn't even matter. It what? just is able to replicate, no problem. What's the plural of universes? Is universes? It universe? Or universe? <laughs> What's the, plur- the plural of universe? Is it universes? Because like uni-verse, like uni oh, as mu- in- is like multiple. But, oh, no, one. Uni is one. One universe. So and verses like speak, but wasn't it like... So shouldn't it, it be like omniverse, like multiple verses? But does that... Does an omniverse imply... Multiple. Uh, I reckon... So you have a universe, <laughs> a universe being one, omniverse being multiple. But it, it's multiple with... Like multiple that make up one. Like, you know, om, om, omnivore is something that eats both a herbivore. Yeah, but it's, a herbivore and it's a not limited to one diet though. Yeah. So universe would be a one verse... And then omniverse is more than one verse. <laughs> Let's pivot. <laughs> <laughs> pivot. Yeah. Okay. So I reckon jumping back to perception. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how far to jump back. So okay. So we were asking: Do jellyfish, do perceive? jellyfish perceive? And does I think the universe <laughs> split in scale? <laughs> I think the answer is yes, and maybe yes, yes, yes. Jellyfish, jellyfish perceive. perceive. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know now because like. That, that comes back to, like, learning, you know, or changing, like... Mm-hmm. What, which part? The, the perception? Well, like, is perception defined by the fact that, like, you're, you're applying some sort of, like, cognitive sh- effort mm. to... And you're... Ta- and you're... I think what you're thinking about is, like, look, looking at all of your previous experiences and then using that to make decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, perception's sure kind I'm of a gray zone yeah like so just the definition of it I think perception is um, taking in inputs and having some sort of reaction to it you know, that's, okay yeah well yeah. taking in, in input in the form of sensation yeah so you take in, in sensations and then you experience them which is a perception yeah so that experience of so yeah going back to like the, the specific circuit board yeah is there an experience going on there? Oh. Is there an experience that the jellyfish is like paper bag, uh, plastic bag? I think but you could say there's an experience happening on the circuit board in the form of electrons and everything flowing through the circuit is an experience in the hardware. Damn. <laughs> Got to ask an AI about that. Yeah, we need to get like an expert in about whether they're experiencing or not. Uh, do, computers, do computers experience. Google. Experience what? Just experience. does Google experience everything? Hey that Google, it does? do you experience? It will say yes. Wait, it's on that. Oh, hey on Google. Probably not. No, not, 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 not recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
What's the next bit down here? Hearing our own voices. So, when we first started on episode one, I was like, I was dreading hearing the playback and yep. hearing my own voice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, oh, it's going to be so cringy. I hate, I hate hearing my voice yeah. in recordings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe this is credit to Rod doing doing a great job on the on the audio yeah. but I was like nah it doesn't sound bad and then you know I don't know if it's a compliment but people were saying I have a good podcast voice so yeah I think you do don't know what that means but <laughs> <laughs> it's I, pleasing to listen to yeah I was quite I was quite happy and hearing the playback especially in stereo in the car like mm-hmm. we were saying before that that was crazy yeah it's very immersive isn't it hearing stereo but it's just why is it so weird to hear your own voice yeah, so there's heaps of ideas. What we're talking about earlier when we're having coffee is when you're speaking, you're hearing the vibrations of your own voice through your head. Um, so, like, it travels up through your jaw into your ear holes, into your eardrum and everything. Holes. <laughs> and it sounds a lot different to what is actually projected out of your mouth and what other people hear. So, when you hear a recording of yourself, you're hearing it without the vibrations from yeah. your jaw, which sounds different and weird. What? What would you describe your voice, like the voice you hear? Well, it's it's hard to think about it now with the headphones on. Yeah. But like... Well, I always it, feel like I'm super flat and monotone. That's how I perceive my voice. See, I've never thought about your voice that much. Like, I've never thought you have a flat, monotone voice. Like, I don't think I've thought that much about anybody's voice to think like, oh, wow, there's... Well, you know, there's some There's some people. There's some... Well, it's like... I guess it's like politicians or something where they're in the position where they need to like their voice is their vehicle mm. and then it's like yeah we are going to implement a tax reform and you're like couldn't care less <laughs> well when i hear other people's voices i think sometimes i do think about how much variation they've got in yeah. the volume and the the way they speak because mm. i feel like when i speak it's it's a single tone and i'm essentially just varying my volume <laughs> that's how it feels for me now you say that i see what you mean but it's not i think monotone maybe monotone just has a negative connotation i don't think it's but then like when you laugh or something or asking a question your voice is still changing it does change yeah so i met someone this is such a tangent i met someone from perth mm. and apparently in perth they finish every sentence by like a, inflecting yeah, inf- inflecting is yeah. that the term where they, where they go up in tone so it's like they're going to finish a sentence and they always sound That's like they're asking a question too artificial yeah but like this person I met they didn't really do it too much but got a camera but is it really a camera that's an inflection where it's like it sounds See, like you're asking a question but you were asking a question it was a question. <laughs> I can't do it without asking a question my body won't let me inflect you can't do it without asking a question See, that's a but question. Then it, but then it's just like, you know, adding a question mark onto the end of it. Turns anything into a question. It's like, if you make a statement. Get out I, of my house. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> okay. So, if you make I a statement, I like coffee. So, I was inflecting down slightly. That's a statement. I like coffee. It becomes a question. I like coffee. So, by inflecting, we make everything a question. Yeah. It's like when you say, I like coffee, it's like, do you like coffee? You know, it's like it's kind of like the subtext of that is, do you like coffee? I heard a click. Me <laughs> <laughs> too. But like, hmm. so it's, yeah. Do you like it's, coffee? No, no, sorry. I like coffee. I like coffee. Yeah, because I feel like it becomes a question. What I'm saying there is like, I like coffee. Do you like coffee as well? Yeah, but that's just through the inflection, though. 
So that so when we I go like to coffee, when we go to Perth, everything is a question. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, I couldn't live in that kind of world. That's why they're so backwards. They're just always asking questions and never giving answers. <laughs> it's just it's an echo chamber of questions. Oh, very nice to our Earth subscriber base. <laughs> no, we still love you guys. We still have good beaches and nice weather. You know, one of the craziest things about so we're in New South Wales on the. Um, East coast, <laughs> east coast of Australia. Why, why did I struggle with that? I was, I was like on the south coast. No, we're not on the south. Coast. <laughs> this is south coast. Anyway, your brain's just fighting itself. It's like say south, say, say, south. say it. Yeah. So, you know, being on the east, like we we have the sun rising over the ocean, and I just stopped in Perth one. I was just there for one night, and it was so weird to see the sun setting over the ocean in the mm, west yeah like that's such a foreign thing yeah but then does someone come to you know back to perception does someone from perth mm-hmm. come to sydney ask a whole bunch of questions yeah. and then have to watch the sun watch the sunrise but they don't get to see the sunset over the water yeah i think it would be jarring and probably the same way that you were confused when you went to the kitchen and it was all back to front it's all backwards everything's yeah. backwards yeah so moral of the story is don't change states don't just don't go to Perth. <laughs> just don't go to Perth. Just don't go to Perth and everything will be fine. <laughs> don't get your kitchen renovated. Don't go to Perth. But coming back to episode one and changes and improvements, maybe it's good for your brain to experience different things and get yeah. mixed up a bit. Do you become more adaptable? Like if yeah. you have to constantly change, yeah. then is it easy to change the next time? I think someone that constantly goes through new experiences and has to retrain their brain constantly will be more adaptable and actually more intelligent as well. Well, that's like... A very common thing is changing the layout of your keyboard. So, you, oh, we no. get we get really comfortable in typing with a certain QWERTY layout, which is common. If you want to, like, retrain your brain and improve your intelligence potentially as well, you can change the layout of the keyboard, either with just through software or hardware, and you'll have to relearn how to type. It's, it's so tricky. Know how there's, like, that programmer's keyboard... I don't know what it's Yeah, and there's called. also like an engineer's keyboard. And it just has like the more the characters you'd use more often together. Yeah. Um, because QWERTY was originally designed to have them spaced apart to prevent mistyping. So the letters that you use most frequently are spread out. Yeah. Which is Well, weird. that's also... Isn't that like inherited from the typewriter where they have these physical, mechanical... Yeah, exactly. And it's like... You and know, you if didn't, you had, because if you had two like... Um, what are A and O together, you could potentially have a mechanical failure because two of the prongs are coming out together and they get stuck. Yeah. Yeah, typewriters. But what if you wanted to write what or kajiga? In English, you wouldn't write what. That's that's interesting. How did they, do you reckon they analyzed just like they just went through the dictionary and they're just like... Mm. Yeah, they looked at the relationship between the different characters and their occurrences in English. I guess there's like, but I and O are vowels, and they can occur. Yeah, sometimes you you I and O, they're all vowels. But how often do they occur adjacent to each other? Yeah, exactly. So you all you generally have a different character before you around the vowels. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty interesting. Keyboards. But trying to use like I've tried to use different keyboards before. Mm -hmm. Like you got to stick to it for you know a a couple of weeks. Yeah, you have to retrain your brain. So hard. Yeah. I guess, like, another thing, going back to what you're saying about becoming more intelligent when you're constantly changing, mm-hmm. um, it's like people who learn more than two languages. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, you know, they, they go through the process 
process of learning one language, mm. but then they're able to pick up a third language a lot more effectively yeah. or efficiently. I think it's exponential. Yeah. Yeah. And it could. It's both the ability of your brain to learn new things, but also the relational value between languages yeah yeah because languages have common origins yeah say say you have english and then you go and learn like a, a romance language like french or something like mm. that like you know you already have words i tried to learn french i literally couldn't even pr- pronounce the sounds <laughs> well you have to be exposed city. to it you have to be yeah it's, it's also really helpful to watch someone speak the language because you can watch yeah. how their mouth moves if you just listen to words it's hard to actually pronounce them yeah. without seeing how it's done but then like if you were to go and learn like italian after french mm-hmm. it must be a lot so easier. much easier yeah then if but if you were to try and learn japanese after french it's maybe it would gonna be still, still be pretty difficult i think but it would still be easier than learning japanese without having french. learned french yeah, yeah. i agree because I, I guess another thing is you just learn techniques of learning a language mm-hmm. where you, you know, like, okay, maybe if I start with these types of words, they can open me up to these types of conversations. Yeah. And you learn how to make associations with, with yeah. learning new words. Yeah. Uh, I really, I really want to keep learning, like, new languages. I've been doing Spanish. I'm on day 87. 87? 87 days straight. Say that in Spanish? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can say, yo necesito un taxi. I need a taxi. <laughs> or, um, tu hablas espanol. Do you speak Spanish? <laughs> or, um... Yo tengo un café. I have a coffee. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty much but it. I could do that, that sort of words at the moment. With that foundation, if you were to go to a Spanish-speaking country, you could learn a lot more effectively because you, you open yourself up to a lot of conversations yeah, definitely. from there. I've had an interesting thing. So some of the customers that come and come on the chat are Spanish and, and it will translate automatically, but I can see their original text mm. and I can almost read new spanish sentences just through the really basic words that i've already got yeah and it's also like the the 80 20 rule as well you know if you have 20 percent of the language down Mm -hmm. then you probably have 80 you can you can conversate at an 80 percent level right i think like you know i like everything everything seems to be like that 80 20 Mm. because i haven't think it's cool i haven't been exposed to all of the words in spanish but i can pick up sentences when people send them through I can read. I can pretty much read in Spanish without, you know, having learnt that much. Yeah. And I guess, like, there's context as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also, like, the words are going to be um, centered around the type of work that you're doing or the type of questions yep. that they would be asking. Yeah, correct. So, that's, like, a, and narrows the domain of... Well, context is really important for perception. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think I've written a little bit about that, about context and perception um, and what the brain is expecting to hear. There are a few examples in there of um, what happens with selective perception, things like selective hearing. If you're at a party and there's a lot of noise going on, a lot of conversations happening, your brain can narrow in on on particular people. Yeah. Um, and if you hear something like your own name called or mentioned in the room, your brain will like tune to it and start picking up that conversation unconsciously or it'll become conscious. But your brain's constantly filtering out this different Just information that's coming in, that. yeah, based on context. Yeah. Mm. So, sorting facility. It is. Yeah, it's got... Yeah, because it was something that 11 million inputs in the brain every yeah. second. 11... You, you have here 11 million, 11 million bits of information per second, but the brain is only able to consciously process about 40 yeah. of those. So, it's... Pro- 40 it's bits a second. I think out. we can process more than 40 bits a second. Not, not um, consciously. 
So th there is an unconscious filtering that's occurring and filtering out those 11 million but how do you How do you define like those many bits of information? So a, a bit of information being like the sense of your clothes on your skin, the taste in your oh, mouth. I was um, taking it in the feeling like computer science sense of, of like a bit, like, like one, one or bit, zero. Yeah, like, yeah, we're taking in like five gigs of information a second or whatever. Um, it, when it, when it's like 40 bits, I'm like, what, five characters? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Five. No, a bit, of, a bit being a sensory input of some sort. Okay. Yeah. How like um, a foundational is like that bit? So it's like... A color like is one bit of information i see this cloth as the color black or is that two bits i see a cloth i see the color black yeah so but is it another every, bit that i associate every that? attribute of every input is a bit of information but is there also a bit of information that is the attribution to like the relationship between that yeah um yeah that inf the, a bit of the information can be relational i'd say yeah you can because then again, in process, the information in your brain, it's all contextual. When I see a tissue box on the table, I'm seeing a box, I'm seeing cardboard, I'm seeing color and patterns, and I take all of that information in and process it to go, oh, that's a tissue box, but also make an association. If you saw a silhouette, you would think this is a tissue box because you're so used to this exact dimension. I'm, if I saw just a, yeah, right, a silhouette on the table, yeah. In a studio, I would go, it's probably a tissue box. But, but then if, if, saw I saw, if I saw that out on the street, I'd think it's a brick. If yeah. I just saw the same silhouette. So it's all about context. that context in your brain. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's wild. And so the context changes how you perceive things. And that's where those tests like the vase, mm. where you've got the, the image. Faces. Yeah, we'll put it up on Spoilers. the screen. <laughs> we'll put it up on the screen, but um, it's got the silhouette of a vase and you can either see two faces or a vase. Oh, and you know the ballerina one? Yeah. Where and it's, it's like which way it's rotation. Yeah. 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 Really cool. And if you think it's rotating left, it'll spin left. If you think it's rotating right, and that's, your brain will change how it perceives it. That's like the dress and like the green lightning one. Mm -hmm. or, you know, you the know blue that, and white the, dress. Yeah. No, it's like, it's, or even those videos where it's like, it plays like a little audio snippet, just a couple of seconds, and it has a whole lot of different captions, and mm. every single caption you hear it mm. as you're reading From it. From the same word. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what evil you could do with that. You, what could you take out of context? You could like send multiple messages, like subliminal messaging, almost. It's pretty crazy. There was a really cool one I saw recently, which was an audio clip, and it said a different sentence based on the caption yeah. so we put the words up on the screen and it's like which one do you hear um i'll try and find it and we'll yeah. put it in the video because it was so cool it really freaked me out that is cool mm. perception it's wild context is so important just just to like uh, just just as communication like mm -hmm. if you think about a sentence on its own there's only like a, a really fundamental level of communication that comes into that. But because Through of words. the previous sentence and because of like what I might be talking to you about or mm -hmm. where we are or what time it is, mm. that foundational sentence, like if you just were to take, like if you think about all the conversations we've ever had in our life and you were to just extract one sentence from that, it would have made perfect sense at the time. But or, it would make no sense if you listen to it right yeah, now. Yeah, it would make no sense out of context. Mm. Is that like the 80-20 rule? What do you mean? 
So when we're speaking right now, the, the words we're oh, saying yeah. are actually like twenty percent of the communication. Yeah, and I then think the that context is. I think is that's 80%. an actual stat somewhere. Yeah, Probably. the verbal communication is only a very small part. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of that, what yeah. we're actually communicating. Well, one thing like Hannah tells me stories from work, and she works in a very like female-dominated workplace, mm-hmm. and she introduces each of the actors within the story or you know the agents within the story Mm -hmm. maybe like three or four girls but as she tells the subsequent sentences she just says she and i constantly have to be like but which which one which one yeah (laughs) i don't know which one you're talking about and she's like but i just said her name because just said three names yeah well in her mind she's got a different perception going on and then it gets translated and like compressed down and then transmitted to you and you're hearing like you're perceiving a different experience different story even those like um, pronouns like she and he and everything like that yeah. they are all based on context like they don't exist without context being established yeah he has he and she have no meaning outside of a, yeah. outside of a story out of, outside of a existing sentence yeah we have words that are designed just for in context just for like yeah referring to context that's pretty cool. Yeah. I Quite think, interesting. I think it demonstrates how complex our brains are and how well tuned they are for processing information. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got down in here um, some other things that happen with perception and filtering out information or filtering in information. One of those is, um, what was it, inattentional blindness. So inattentional blindness was filtering out information um, one one thing that I was thinking about on the way here is um, motion blindness, which happens on motorcycles. Yeah, really common when you're riding a bike or driving a car, um, and it results in a lot of accidents that happen on the road. And I nearly got hit by a car a couple of days ago when I was riding through Bondi because of it. Do you have the dash cam footage? I have the footage. helmet, helmet I have cam. It, I have it. I don't want to watch it because I was so scared there. That one you sent the other day in the boys' chat. That was where the van nearly yeah, yeah. hit me. Yeah, that was scary. It's crazy. So what happens is when you're driving a car, because you have so much motion happening, your eyes have to be, or your brain has to be filtering out all the different aspects so that you can focus on particular things. Like so busy processing all of this motion, they can get motion blindness where a motorcycle rider could get filtered out of their vision and they literally don't see it, even though it's like right there coming towards them. the bike and then the bike hits the car um which is what happened to me yeah i was i was going through an intersection there was a car approaching and it was indicating to turn and i was like oh he'll be fine he sees me didn't see me and just turned straight in front of me and i had to go around i actually stood up on the on the bike because i was ready to go was he he stopped and we we were like centimeters away from each other did you like did I didn't. I didn't even have time to react. I was. I was so shook afterwards. I was like, "Did you, wow. did you talk? Or you didn't talk to him, or?" Oh, we didn't stop. Nah. So uh-huh. we we avoided each other. Fortunately, his heart was probably racing. Just yeah, probably. We scared the crap out of him. And even though he was technically at fault for coming in front when I had the right of way, I blame myself for not yeah. predicting the situation. It's so important on the roads to just always yeah. be like you can't trust anything. You got to be completely ready for anything. Yeah, don't, and don't trust that they're going to follow the rules. Mm. so it's like indicators you know someone might be indicating but you still want to be like 
I want to see you commit to that before I actually go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, sometimes you're even driving, you know, oh, sh- my indicator's on. Whoops. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I was giving the wrong message. Yeah, to everyone else and confusing them. Yeah. And then do they filter out that information in their perception? Because now they don't trust your indicating ability. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't trust it. And so now they filter it out when you're indicating. Yeah, pretty funny. But I don't know about funny. <laughs> Well, it's, it's funny. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Placebos. That's crazy. Mm. So, what what I find the weirdest about placebos mm-hmm. is that there's things that I know are placebos, but I know that like if I still convince myself that it will work, it will work. Well, even even if you know it's a placebo, thirty percent of the time it can still work. It can still have the desired effect. That's, so. Yeah, in studies they've done with, um, I think it was antidepressants or stimulants, mm-hmm. something that has an actual effect on their body and brain. They did a test where they told the participants it was a placebo and it still worked. They still felt perked up. Wow. Yeah. And so you can give someone a glass of water and say it's vodka, got vodka in it. Yeah, and they'll feel buzzed. Or you could give them... <laughs> you oh, could, classic prank you of could, a 15-year-old. <laughs> yeah. You could give them an alcohol-free beer and tell them it's alcohol-free yeah. and then they still get buzzed so from the it. The thing is, yeah, exactly. Like, especially when you're in... Like, you're with other people who are drinking and you kind of, like, subconsciously are molding into their yeah. behavior as well. Fully. But you feel it. Like, I've been in that situation before where you have, like, secondhand, like, drunkness. Yeah. Where you're just picking up on that energy that people are giving off. Yeah. I wonder if that's a survival trait. Yeah, definitely. Because I think, you know, like, um, evolutionarily. Mm. Start. Start of what? Evolution. <laughs> Evolutionary. Evolutionarily. Evolutionarily. In terms of evolution, like humans are very social animals Mm -hmm. and it's like a a massive cause of, you know, our survival and evolutionary success. Yeah, it is a word, evolutionary Evolutionary. success. Yeah. Um, See, context, it sounded a lot better in, like when I said in that context, it's like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Maybe it isn't a word, but that sounded... It sounded correct. Something Richard Dawkins would say, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) Depends if it's correct. Definitely. It's very well-spoken. Yeah. Um, But... You know, it's a massive benefit for early humans to work socially. Like, if you're going to mm. be antisocial, mm-hmm. you're not going to be let into the cave in shelter. Yeah, you know, you're and not going to. It's disruptive to the to the Static fabric of, oh, yeah. of the group. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you Definitely. could say that you want to conform the contact high or the secondhand drunkness is an evolutionary trait. Yeah, I guess also like. Um, so that, that that's about conforming to the group and saying, yeah, well, I am a part of the group. We got to work together. Mm. Like we have a common goal. Yeah. And I guess that's also like the reason for um, like primal sense of xenophobia is that mm. people are, they see a different group and they're yeah. scared because they're like- Someone that doesn't fit in should yeah. be feared. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But they'll fit in with their own group, but then you have the trouble- mm. But it's crazy because, you know, this is like 40,000 years ago, early mm. humans. Yeah. And then we still see this behavior. Yeah. Like, Although our civilizations now have millions of people living together essentially in yeah. one tribe. But there's still a lot of like... There's still a lot of division. Like, yeah. Yeah. And separation. But then that could be evolutionary as well to promote genetic variation and But, you know, survival. diversity is a massive... Yeah. 
Wait, what do you mean? You mean that... Um, like xenophobia could be um, a survival and evolutionary benefit because it promotes diversity in genetics. Because if you have... It wouldn't promote... Xenophobia wouldn't promote diversity. Xenophobia would be... Ah, correct. There has to be some mingling between them. Although if you've got two disparate groups that mingle, their genetic variation is greater. So you're saying that the diversity comes from the divergence of the two groups where they form their own mutation. Ah, Sorry, so I was looking on the small scale of the diversity would come from mingling and then Mm. cross-breeding. So, yeah, to have the divergence, some sort of xenophobia is necessary because you would, unless if everyone's in one big tribe, eventually, eventually everyone will have the same yeah. genetics and the diversity will be lower. Yeah. And then you, you have, have one, one disease that wipes out the whole species. Yeah, exactly. But if you were to have that period of divergence mm-hmm. and then, it, you know, it could reconverge in the future. Yeah. Once that reconverges, you still have a lot of genetic diversity. Exactly. And you're a lot more resilient. So if there's a if there's some sort of virus that only kills people who are like mm-hmm. coriander, <laughs> yeah, then it doesn't wipe out everybody. Yeah, it doesn't wipe out the whole thing because there's half the population, or you know that that percentage mm-hmm. of the population that has, and that was that version, some yeah. sort of xenophobia originally. Wow. Damn. Do you think? Do you think like animals? experience xenophobia xenophobia definitely what's the pronunciation of that xena 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 i think either or potato potato yeah i've never heard anyone say potato but yeah (laughs) Yeah. anyway do you think animals experience that between like definitely between groups of animals between like animals and different species but uh have animals evolved to have, like, obviously no animal has evolved to have the amount of social complexity that we have, mm. but have they... Dolphins are pretty complex and whales. That's true. But generally... But they, they have evolved a degree of social aptitude or social true. hierarchy or standing or um, etiquette even. Mm. I wonder if groups of dolphins meet up and have like have like other friend groups <laughs> dolphin parties yeah have have like a meet up each year where they mingle with this other group of dolphins that they've become friends with but then they're their own tribe yeah and they diverge wow I want to look into that I want to ask a dolphin yeah we should get a <laughs> dolphin our next in. guest <laughs> flipper <laughs> that would be crazy in the middle yeah okay so if you could choose to speak to animals or speak every language, which would you choose? That's that's an excellent question. But, you know, we, we semi have the ability to speak every language at this rate. With we do. Technology. We have the ability to communicate with pretty much everybody. Yeah. But we don't have the... Uh, there's no technology to communicate with animals. Mm. So you would choose to speak to animals? But it's like... Technology? Do animals have things to talk about? Like, <laughs> do animals like... Mm. Do they, they have the ability to transfer thoughts? Yeah, exactly. Like, are there, are there, oh, so another thing, I, perception again is mm. that it's like, um, you know, those studies where they've showed mirrors to animals and oh, it's yeah. only like that, that really smart macaw, um, I forget its name. The, the African gray? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's, yeah, the African gray. Maybe. What, what was its name? It was like the smartest bird. They're big boys as well. African Grey, smart. <laughs> <laughs> and not only really smart, 
Alex. Alex the parrot. Oh, here we go. Dude, I literally cried when I, I first read this Wikipedia article. Cause what's something what's about, the gist? Something about, like, so this um, bird mm-hmm. was able to, like, you know, solve, like, uh, preliminary puzzles or, like, preliminary, I'm not sure the right term, but, like, Simple you know, puzzles. basic puzzles, yeah. And even, like, slightly more complex. And I think, like, they identified that it had about, it had, like, the... Um, intelligence of maybe like a human i'm tr- I'm just trying to quickly five or eight-year-old yeah something like that so we will fact so it could follow one. instructions and it could problem solve do basic problem solving oh yeah yeah it, like for example it's not doing reactive tasks for example dropping it's not, a it's not a, the hardwired circuit of yeah the it's not just dropping a ball in the cup it's saying like if I drop a ball in a particular cup in a particular order, I, I could, achieve this particular. Or he goal. could copy. He could copy an arrangement of cups, you know, stuff like that. He's yeah. actually problem solving instead of just yeah following yeah, the applying, pre-programming. But that's like going back to the perception and uh, sensation and sensing. Mm-hmm. It's like he's applying this level of analytical abstract thought. Mm. Is that where perception comes in? And does that make him? A complex sentient being does that make him like a person i would definitely i definitely say it's a sent we should ask being. alex the parrot oh <laughs> alex well, are you sentient well this is the part that i cried when i read the wikipedia article because he he died in 2007 oh no uh, but his last words are you be good i love you see you tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's so sad because one day your last sentence will be the last yeah, you, you, okay. probably, you probably but won't not know episode it. two, tap out. <laughs> yeah. Or I see some memes sometimes. It'll be like a school playground. And it's like one day will be a last day playing on the school playground. Yeah, that playground. was the last time you went outside and played with your childhood friends. Yeah. And and like one day you'll say bye to someone. It'll be the last time. Okay. Okay. And you won't know it. Existential anyway, dread. Let's not, let's not get into this. But one thing interesting about that sentence mm-hmm. that Alex the Parrot said is, you be good, I love you, see you tomorrow, mm. is I think the use of the words you and I. Mm. So it's it obviously can understand this concept of... A separation. This, this is me and yeah. that is you, yeah. that is not me. Mm-hmm. So like... Did it? I mean, could it have just wrote learn to say at the end of the day? You know, it's the end of the day. It sees it's going through the the schedule or the the routine of having yeah. having its covers put on or whatever yeah, yeah. its bedtime routine was. Yeah, and it says at that time, "You be good. I love you." From and from its perspective, it's almost like a little song that it sings. Yeah. Like just well, we don't know if it is, but could it be? Or like, did did it have these understandings that the word "you" means? Not me means yeah. a, an entity, a sentient entity yeah, that's yeah. going to understand what I say, but isn't me. Wow! And does it understand? I'd like to think it is. I would like to think that Alex knows who he, or who it is or who he I is. I would. I think so, mm. especially if it's using forms of like communication. If it can problem solve, I think cats have trouble with that, don't they? They have trouble with understanding who their kin is, who their family is. And they will show the same affection to strangers as they will their own family. And if, if a family cats member... Cats just assholes. Yeah. <laughs> if a family member comes home and a cat acts excited, it'll probably do the same thing for a stranger that comes in. Mm. 
Not a dog. But, dogs but are dogs loyal. are different. Yeah, dogs okay. are loyal AF. Well, one of like the most like interesting evolutionary, and definitely is the word evolutionary. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting occurrences that has happened in evolution is how dogs are like, you know what? If we hang out with these hairless monkeys, yeah, we can go a long way. Yeah. I mean, obviously they didn't. Thousands consciously. Of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> They hung around the fires at nighttime and yeah. get scraps or they yeah. would come and clean up after a group has been there. And yeah. then they learned that, oh, they're actually not going to attack us that much. But it's, it's probably like, you know, it, like coming back to like mutations, not coming back, but like going to like mutations and natural selection. Mm-hmm. It's that maybe within a pack of wolves, there was some who would go hungry when there was like um, scarce amount of food. Yeah. But the ones that were friendly that had developed this gene or like this... Um, quality to be friendly to yeah. to the hairless monkeys. Yeah, they saw that. Hey, I get I get fed these meat scraps if mm. I do this. Yeah. So what happens is the the ones outside of the the Didn't clan, they, they yeah they aren't able to survive and pass on those mutations. Mm. Whereas you know, classic like um, Darwinism, but it's like yeah, yeah. those ones within the group or more they survived. Yeah, and then humans like you know these animals have like a. Um, Symbiotic, I think that's the term. The yeah. sy- a, symbi- a symbiotic relationship with us is like, oh, they can help us hunt. You know, we can shoot a pheasant and it will go and Fetch retrieve it. it for us. And it won't run away and eat it. It will bring it back because it knows that if it brings it yeah. back, it will survive. Better. But it's just it's just a change in its, it, it's, its wiring that it, its genes that it was like. A change in the perception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of the, of the hairless monkeys. Yeah. And it's led to a whole new timeline of yeah. of humans living with dogs. But then humans start playing God and they start making pugs. Yeah. And then it goes the other way. Now they're de-evolving because they produce like breathing problems. Well, I think, yeah, I think de-evolving, I think it's hard to use that term because evolution, is, evolution isn't really linear in the sense that Mm-hmm. Like w- when you say it's not, it's not working towards a goal. It yeah, just yeah. happens, and yeah, yeah. So I guess w- when you use the term de-evolving, you're um, putting it in the context of evolution happening for a purpose. Yeah. Oh, you're putting it. You're putting it in like this metric or the context of the metric that like better evolution is better physical fitness. Yeah. And survivability. Yeah. Well, I guess you could argue that is like the That's objective goal is. of evolution yeah. is survivability mm-hmm. and passing on your genetic material. Mm-hmm. But when you say de-evolving, you mean like, but it's different. It's a different goal with these types of dogs. True. Like with pugs, it's like the goal is to make a cute dog. I would argue the term cute for pugs, but it's yeah. to make a dog that people <laughs> want to buy. And it's, the goal isn't that the pug can breathe well. The yeah. goal yeah, is so that it can... So you could say that the evolutionary purpose of a pug is to look a certain way. Yeah. So then, therefore, it's not de-evolving because it's successful in looking different yeah. and being... Viable. But then within the metric or the context of physical health and survivability... It's, it would be a de-evolution. It would be a de-evolution. Yeah, context. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not a fan of pugs in any way. I think, firstly, I don't think they're that cute. Right. I, yeah, sometimes they can be cute, but I just think, you know, it's... It's pretty unfair to be selecting for traits that are just going to massively lower its quality of life. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that's like choosing for your child to have a deformity because you think it's cute. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, no one. 
I agree. Would agree. Like, yo, no, I mean, no one would agree <laughs> with that, that it's okay to do that. No one would be like, oh, I want my child to um, have, I don't know, trying to be PC, <laughs> <laughs> have some certain like disability. Like, I'm sure if you asked someone who had been bound to a wheelchair their whole life, mm. would they want that for their kid? Even then, they would say, no, I want my kid to have a full quality of life and not mm. have to suffer like the, the mm. um, setback the I had to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the pugs don't have a choice in that. They're just brought into this world to literally suffocate. Yeah. To say no to pugs. It's very controversial. Yeah, the dog breeding and everything like that. But it's also like, is it a double standard for me to say, say no to pugs and then I want to go and get like some dog that still has hip dysplasia or whatever like that? Like, where do you draw It's a the scale. Line? I think it's a scale. Yeah. On the other side of that is, is it okay to make genetic changes for a good purpose? Definitely. I would say like yes. Golden rice and stuff. Yeah. Like corn, bananas. Yeah. They're all genetically modified. Well, it's like people, you know, organic's such a meaningless buzzword. And it's like GMOs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Literally, you've been eating GMOs your whole life. No bananas, matter what, yeah. like CRISPR or, you know, genetic... Um, whatever's going on, literally, like if you look at you know early bananas and early corn and stuff yeah. like that, yeah, no fruit, so different. And people are just selectively breeding, which is genetic engineering. Yeah. They're just saying, okay, this this uh, offspring. I think organic is used to talk about how it's cultivated rather than like the genetic modification. But it's also like non-GMOs are organic, but it's a True. whole buzzword because like. Yeah. Uh, there is not one definition of organic. I yeah, think. it's well, there is open, open to interpretation. Well, in the in the chemical sense, if it has carbon in its molecular structure, oh, then yeah. it's organic. It's, That's it's, the true like objective. <laughs> yeah, true. And everything like every food you eat is going to be organic. Yeah, by that true yep. scientific scientific objective definition, you can't have non-organic food. But like, yeah, mm. unless you want to eat a brick. Well, no. All I can say is bricks. Would, would a brick? What are the components of a brick? I'm sure there's some carbon in there somewhere. Yeah. You got Where do you draw the line for organic? Isn't everything organic because it's of the universe? No, it doesn't it doesn't it has to have carbon to be organic. Right? That is that the definition? Yeah. Okay. Carbon in the molecule. Right. Well that's like organic chemistry, right? Like I don't know. Organic, I didn't do any has, chemistry. Uh -huh. <laughs> chemistry confused the heck out of me. I never understood how you could take two chemicals, mix them together and produce a new chemical. Magic, mate. Alchemy. It's, that's magic. Witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I understand physics and particles and electrons and valence. But then when it comes to mixing chemicals, I don't get it. And I didn't understand why they would just teach us. This is completely unrelated. We'll get back on topic. I didn't understand why you just they just taught us to switch the um, prefix of the two chemicals. They got carbon dioxide and something, something. You just switch the prefixes and then that was the rule. That yeah, was- You'll have to show me what you mean. Yeah, that was high school um, chemistry. And I was like, it makes no sense. I think it was just <laughs> bad teaching, it. yeah. I'm sure like, I'm sure with a bit of effort, you, you could easily understand it. It's probably just like poor teaching. I think so as time. well, yeah. Yeah, I saw like a, I guess a meme once and it's like, um, Physics is just applied mathematics. Chemistry is applied physics. Mm. Biology is applied chemistry. And um, <laughs> philosophy or anthropology is just applied biology. True. It's just oh, a function of, you it's, know, it's physics all just is a, a function uh, of mathematics. It's a big loop. Yeah. Yep. And then we need, and then, yeah, is mathematics just applied um, 
philosophy. You're just putting the philosophy oh. to abstract concepts, and it's all cyclical. It's all cyclical. Shout out to Max. Cyclical. That's a good word. <laughs> Carpe diem. What, no, what's his word? Lorem Ibsen. Lorem Ibsen. Yeah. <laughs> nice. What else have we got here on the list? Spouts off Lorem Ibsen. Um, so, mutations of memory. So, I guess this is kind of like the um, Mandela effect. Mm-hmm. We were talking about before. Yeah. So, we put in our notes to talk about our false memory. Now, I have such a weird one. Like, oh, I'm ready. This is something that I didn't like realize probably wasn't real until I was like maybe like a teenager, like 15 years old or something. Okay. Something like that. Tell us about so, it. So, um, at the Easter show in the year 2000, when I was four years old, there was like this massive uh, mechanical dinosaur that would like eat a car or crush up a car mm-hmm. and like breathe fire. And it was like in a little arena, you know? Yeah. You know a monster truck arena sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's awesome. And there was like this little park near my house that I would go and ride my bike around. Mm. And I remember the mechanical dinosaur was just off in that park. And I just, for so much of my life, I was just like, yeah, they just stored it there. Like, what a coincidence that they stored it near my house. Yeah. And it wasn't like, I have such a vivid memory of me looking at it, thinking about it, it being there. Like, in I the would park. 100% if I didn't have, like, the... the you have a memory of it in yeah, the past. I literally have a vivid memory of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it probably was a dream, but I have this vivid memory. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until I was just thinking about it when I was, like, 16 or way later, I was like, that makes no sense. Yeah. There's absolutely no reason why that would be there. Yeah. It's crazy. So you had a false memory. A false memory. Yeah. And it's one false memory that I'm aware of. Yeah. And it makes you wonder how many false memories we've actually got. Is this episode two? (laughs) (laughs) Did we even record last week? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Are we even doing a podcast right now? (laughs) We're just sitting sitting in the bathroom completely (laughs) delusional. It's still that day up at Palm Beach. (laughs) Oh my God. That would be trippy. (laughs) We just talked about it. We're just still we're just Don't nah, don't wake me out like that. (laughs) Um, Do you have any false memories? I'm trying to think. Not that I'm not that I know of, but I definitely have some memories that the details are probably wrong. And when you have two people or you have one person telling a story where someone else was present, they've got details that the other person doesn't agree with. And they're like, No, no, that's not how it happened. And they're both adamant on different versions of the story. Um yeah, very strange. Like perspective yeah. type of stuff. So I've actually got a little note in there talking about how Scientology uses Suggestion techniques. Yeah, suggestion techniques. Gaslighting. Gaslighting yeah. on a cult- cultural level. What is gaslighting? Gaslighting. You know what gaslighting is? We talked about it. We talked about it last night, dude. You don't remember? You never listen to anything I say. Is this gaslighting? gaslighting? <laughs> so it's like you're trying to imprint a false memory onto someone. So usually like in, a, in an abusive relationship, like an emotionally abusive mm. relationship, one partner will be accusing the other partner of doing something that they didn't even do or like flipping it around. It's like, say, you know, we were in a relationship and we had an argument mm. and then I was completely the cause of that argument because of something I did. Mm. Then the next day I'll be like, it's because you did this. It's like, I'm sorry. It's just, you really made ah, me upset because you did this. Right. And I'm gaslighting the blame on you. Do you know where the phrase gaslighting came from? Um, I think, I think I did, but I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But, I think a great example of gaslighting, probably shouldn't go into it, is Donald Trump. 
like he literally master gaslighter. Yeah, he is just gas. He's just blatantly lying, trying to like rewrite the narrative of the past. Right. His Twitter is wild, and it's so good that Twitter has been doing this. Like, oh, they say it's controversial. Fact check stuff, and they hide it, and they make it more difficult to spread misinformation. That's. I think that's very good. Yeah, it's incredibly irresponsible. But it also makes you wonder how well they can apply that. Yeah, because there are people they can't they can't do it to everyone on the platform. But it's good that they do it to the big, the big boys. Someone who can have that much, so much influence, cultural influence. Yeah. Mm. So coming back to the false memories, Scientology. There's a really good documentary. What was it called? Infiltrating Scientology. It's on YouTube. It's a multi-part series by these two guys. They're hilarious, and their presentation is so good. But they infiltrate Scientology where they go in and record what happens during. I watched. I watched the onboarding. Oh, yeah. you watched? Did you watch the whole thing? I watched the first one. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, it was kind of weird when they were doing like the... Well, they was like saying names and making them touch like yeah. other people in the room. Yeah, it's like all these brainwashing techniques that they use. What's the big man in Scientology called? Zylon or something? Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember his name. He's like an author. Zylophone? Yeah. No, not, not the dude, like the, oh, the alien. Oh, yeah, it's like Zion or something. <laughs> yeah. Some Straight alien out of god. Like in sci- science fiction it's, book. He's the guy that created it. It's literally a science fiction author. <laughs> and they're like, oh, let's follow no, this. That's a reputable source. Yeah. So what they do is part of the onboarding in Scientology is they use... Um, what did I call it? Um, gaslighting. Su- suggestion techniques. Oh. Yeah, probably is similar to gaslighting. Yeah, pretty sure the same thing. Um, where they take you into a room and they ask you about a childhood experience and they they spend hours with you reliving the experience and then they tweak it a bit to make it some sort of like epiphany moment where Scientology was calling to you and they can rewrite your memory oh, that you've got. Wow. And how's this? The guy part of the documentary um he knew that they used this technique like when he went into the room so we're talking about earlier a little bit he knew that it was going to happen and he went in there and it was a memory that was shared by the two guys that were doing the doco he goes into the scientology place knowing they're going to brainwash him with was this it technique. just one guy in there so the other guy had like it was a, a one-on-one so so and they discussed it before so they could like write down the yeah yeah they they oh, wow. had had sorted out link what the story the is yeah yeah we'll link it he goes in, they brainwash him, reset his the memory. When he comes out, he can't remember what the original version was. That's so scary. How scary is that? The scary part is like that could, you don't know if that has happened. Yeah, it could, it could happen anywhere, really. But it takes many hours and it's very deliberate. Yeah. But it could be happening on a mass scale like social media. You could be presenting different versions of stories through social media and then certain people have a certain recollection of of what happened, just like the Mandela effect. Wow. Yeah. We live <laughs> Very the, cyclical. We live in the matrix, dude. It's crazy. But yeah, memories. So, infiltrating Scientology, you guys got to go watch it. It's very good. Very funny. Awesome. Cool. It's all very interesting. Mm. Do we have any other topics for today? Um, what time are we at? Yeah. What, t- what time have we been recording? Where are we at, Rod? Cool. I think that's probably pretty good. That's it doesn't feel about. like yeah, it doesn't feel like we've been talking for an hour and twenty. Awesome. So what should next week's topic be? I had a few ideas. We got a lot of guests that want to come on. Yeah, we do. To start our friends and stuff. Yeah. But I don't think I've been saying to them, I think we just need to get establish more, figure it okay. all out. Because yeah. then we also have to do the studio space for a third yeah. person. I think we've got to get our format down pat. We need to get into the rhythm of doing the podcast and chatting. Yeah. But I'm definitely keen to get some people on eventually. Also, just on reflection, like this has felt a lot more natural. And I hope even like the production quality and our speaking quality mm. and mm-hmm. everything comes across as 
the fifty percent improvement that yeah. that we were speaking of last time. Yep. I think it's definitely a massive improvement. I'm looking forward to seeing how it turns yeah. out. I mean, three hundred percent on the visuals. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I don't know how we improve on this, other than just better. No, nah, we'll definitely new and better we'll definitely find ways to improve. What I want to do is get some audience engagement. I don't want to get people writing in with like topic ideas. Yeah, we're gonna have our Twitter. We're gonna we're gonna Hashtag set up Twitter. on the screen. Yeah, we'll put Where it down in the description. We need to set up a Twitter account. Um, but what I'd like to do is have audience write in with either topic ideas, questions, or even tech mysteries. I think would be a fun one to yeah. do where we can kind of investigate a weird thing that someone's had. Alex had one where he said he was getting phone calls from a particular number. Uh, and the last four digits. I kept changing. From Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. And it was selling electricity. Yeah. So we could investigate that sort of stuff, see how they got his oh, number. Oh, that's awesome. We can find out like who the, who they are and why they're calling and all that sort of stuff. Sell so. them some electricity. We'll sell them some electricity, yeah. And, uh, and we'll reset their memory. I'd be keen to do some other stuff besides just like podcast discussions. Maybe like some, maybe just like a little segment that's like, mm. you know, like a chili challenge mm. or yep, love something that. like that. Yep. Just little stuff. Just fun things, mix up a bit. And I think we'll also do maybe like some 10 minute segments with with some people, with some guests or mm-hmm. friends. Yep. Just like 10 minutes and come. Phone in even. I or do. We, can, we could go out and do an interview style sort of thing where we record it beforehand and then bring it back in and insert it yeah that could even work as well all sorts of fun stuff all sorts yeah <laughs> cool well, i think that wraps it for what, episode two what's the next topic i'm not sure what undecided we'll undecided think about it put it out into I've the ether down um written down a few different things we've got a lot in here um oh we could even do conscious con- we could go into consciousness, consciousness a bit more yeah i've started reading the book river of consciousness by oliver Sacks. oh yeah do you know about oliver um is he a he was a psychologist? He was a doctor. He was like a neuro- neurologist, maybe. And he branches out into all different areas of consciousness and psychedelics and life and all sorts of fun Ooh, that stuff. That could be a good one. So maybe consciousness. A little pre-consciousness. Consciousness and... No, I'm not sure. We'll leave it open. We'll, we'll figure leave it, out. it open. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, thank you guys for awesome. tuning in. Thank you so much. And we'll see you in episode three. See you later.